Hey guys, before we get going today, I wanted to thank you for listening to the podcast, but also wanted to do a little bit of a PSA at the top of the show. Uh, listen, there's a lot of uncertainty in the market right now. A lot of families are, are getting laid off and some folks are getting furloughed and, and times are tough. And with the unemployment numbers on the rise, a lot of families are probably thinking, man, let's check into that forbearance thing. Just wanted to really quickly at the top of the show, address the homeowners who are listening to this show who think, Hey man, that sounds like a pretty good idea. Not making a house payment right now. Forbearance is different from deferment. I just want to give you a heads up about this because I think a lot of people are chasing this forbearance agreement, not really understanding what it means most of the time. The idea being, if you think, Hey, well, you can take three months off for your house payment. No big deal. Just skip your next three. That may sound very, very attractive, but come four months from now, you owe for all four house payments, not just the current month, but the three that you skipped, because this is not a deferment. A deferment implies we're going to take those payments and put them at the end of your loan. I don't really understand why so many people are interested in forbearance right now, unless they just don't understand that forbearance doesn't mean deferment. I mean, I I get it, man. Uh, If you've got a problem making this month's house payment, that's tough, but waiting until you owe four all at the same time, is probably not the answer in most cases. In some cases, maybe it makes sense, but I would love to help you out. At least get some advice. Shoot me an email, Conrad at savewithconrad.com. And it's worth mentioning a lot of national lenders, while they are still doing loans, they've changed their credit score requirements. Now they need you to put down 20% and have a 700 credit score. That has not happened at savewithconrad.com. We're still lending with a 580 credit score in more than 40 states, and we can help you run the numbers, get a quick quote, see if we can save you some cash. It's worth mentioning too, even my local credit union here, the largest in my community, they no longer do government loans. So if you're looking for a VA loan, you're looking for an FHA loan, they're not able to help you at all. We can at savewithconrad.com. And listen, by now, you know, the drill, it's no cost, no obligation. If I can't help you save money, I won't waste your time, but we're licensed in more than 40 states and I'm still getting credit scores with as low as 580 approved. Find out how much money you can save right now. Check it out savewithconrad.com or send me an email conrad at savewithconrad.com just be sure to include your phone number so i can give you a call and we can chat about it uh, nmls number 65084 equal housing lender oh and did i mention you can skip your next two house payments if you're looking to get rid of your credit card debt lower your monthly payment or just take a spring break from house payments check it out savewithconrad.com welcome to something to wrestle with something to wrestle with Bruce. Hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle With. A very exhausted Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, how are you, man? Just fucking great. How in the hell are you? Anything interesting happened for you this week, buddy? It's been one of the more interesting uh, weeks of my life, but um, you know, I, I got I to start off on a on a, a somber note here. Uh, we're, we're recording this on Thursday, April sixteenth, and. was awakened to the news of my friend Howard Finkel uh, passing away. And this audience, you know who Howard Finkel is. And and the Fink, the single greatest string announcer of all time. 
I'm sorry, man. I had I had fucking even cried yet. <laughs> Oh, fuck me. I need to go to sleep. Oh, shit. You all right? (laughs) Dude, I hadn't even cried yet. I mean, had I, you know, talked to Jerry Briscoe and Layfield and you, that's it. I hadn't even. real when you say it out loud like that. Yeah. Let's just get this shit together here for a sec. It's okay, man. We're not in a hurry. Fuck me, man. God damn it. I need to go to bed. I, uh, I only met Howard Finkel one time. And, uh, it was when I, I won a, um, a little auction years ago to get a tour of the WWE warehouse and, uh, or not the warehouse, but headquarters. And my, my tour guides were, uh, Howard Finkel and Ben Brown and half the fun was just getting to meet Howard. I mean, this is, you know, obviously a different era for you, somebody you worked with, but somebody we grew up listening to and you know, his iconic and new, I mean, became a part of wrestling and it was just cool to, uh, to say that you got to meet him. All right. I'm good. Sorry. Do you want to say something about Howard? No, you know, um, Fink was, was, was just the greatest ring announcer. And, you know, for me, when I started 1987, you know, before that Fink was the guy in Vince's office that, you, you know, you talk to, we would send tapes and we would send different things to him. And, um, got to meet Fink, you know, and work with Fink. And we became fast friends and, and used to go to Howard's house for, for barbecues. And he used to go to Stu Leonard's and get steak burgers. And I remember he was so proud that he was not serving hamburger. He was serving steak burgers (laughs) and one day Vince says, Howard, what the fuck is a steak burger? What's the difference between steak burger and hamburger? And he says, well, these are Stu Leonard steak burgers. He says, Howard, all hamburgers are steak. And yeah, it was just fake. Fink was Fink was Fink. And he, he was, he was great. And, um, the last, you know, the last few years were hard on Howard and he was in an assisted living home. Um, his, his brain faculty was all there. His, his motor skills were not. And, um, his, his, 
it just uh, look, we lost uh, we lost a great man and a, and a great friend and Godspeed, Howard Finkel. Love the Fink. We uh, we should at least mention that Howard was sort of the guy who would keep tabs on everything going on in wrestling for you guys. Once upon a time, you alluded to it a few minutes ago, where you said we would send him tapes. It was like when guys were trying out or, and Howard would watch everything from everyone and would report back. And, and I think have a report on Vince's desk every day about here's what was said on the hotlines. Here's what was in the newsletters. Uh, here's what people are saying about this guy. And maybe we should take a look at that guy. He was pretty critical to the beginning the early days of WWE to the point that you famously told the story that has been quoted a lot in the last day or so that once upon a time, there wasn't a name for this super show that became WrestleMania and and without, without Howard's input, it may have been colossal tussle and instead it was WrestleMania and, um, what a fitting legacy for the, the first WWF employee to be the guy who, who named WrestleMania. You know, not only the first WWE, uh, employee, but he was hired on April 1st. Now we used to rib Vince about that. We used to rib Howard about it saying that his hiring was an April fool's joke, right? That Howard, he really didn't hire you. Um, but yeah, the Fink was number one. I think Steve Taylor or Ed Cohen were number two. But it was Fink, Howard, and Ed Cohen were the first employees of Titan Sports. <sighs> it's hard to believe he's gone, man. And what an eventful week it has been, not just in professional wrestling, but in the world. I'm sure we'll talk more about that a little later for now. Let's try to move on and talk about, well, a topic that once upon a time I thought would be kind of fun, but I don't know today. Uh, nails is our subject today. Am I saying this last name, right? Kevin Wachholz. Is that right? Wachholz. Yeah. Born April 17th, 1958. Yet another fellow from Minnesota. This one from Bloomington starts wrestling in 82 in the AWA is Kevin Kelly. He's essentially. I guess what you call a baby face mid Carter by 86. He's one of the top heels and challenging for the AWA world heavyweight championship. And I think if I have this right, he's going by Mr. Magnificent Kevin Kelly uh, in 87. He's managed by Sherry Martell and is regularly issuing arm wrestling challenges, which once upon a time were an attraction on TV. And it's going to lead to a feud with Tommy rich who answers one of the challenges on an edition of AWA championship wrestling back when that show was on ESPN and Tommy appears to have won the contest and Martell interferes on Kelly's behalf. Of course, in retaliation, Tommy tears her dress off and then uh, Tommy would dominate a series of matches between the two. Uh, after Martell winds up leaving the AWA, uh, Kelly would take Medusa as his manager and he would often team with. Nick Kaniski as the perfect tag team to contend for the AWA world championship. This is uh, sort of an interesting bit of research that I didn't know. Cause I'll be honest. I don't, I don't know a ton about the AWA. It was sort of before my time, but the idea that he got to work with both Sherry Martell 
and Medusa. That's probably a pretty big deal back then. Those are going to be hall of fame talents. When did you first meet Kevin? Uh, I met Kevin when he came to, he came through mid South. Um, had to be probably 86. And he came in as Thor. Blonde hair, big guy, good build. But he came through maybe a month, maybe two months he lasted there. Uh, he was really green, just, you know, still cutting his teeth. But he was big guy, good body. But he just, um, I don't know, man. His, his, his work was never... Never something that people said, oh my God, you know, that this guy's a great worker. He just had a, he had a great look and you kind of figure with the pedigree coming from Minnesota and through Vern's territory, you would assume sometimes there was the double-edged sword. You either were going to be a big attraction and a star that could work or you had that shooter mentality. A lot of times it just didn't, didn't work. And, and just for whatever reason, Kevin never really had a lot of charisma. And um, it was, it just never really clicked with the audience, it, at least in Mid-South at the time. And he was still very young. Right. Just coming into the business. I think he was, God, he was in his 24 20s. maybe. Yeah, he was in his 20s then. He was born in 58. So, yeah, he would have been in his 20s. Yeah. So he was just still young and, and break it in. Let's talk about Medusa as his manager. We, uh, we reached out to Medusa and she said he was very quiet and intense. And he reminded me of Jesse Ventura a lot, but not his speaking ability. He would crack a joke, but he had a very tight smile, but you knew it was genuine. Um, we don't, I don't think a lot of fans who maybe grew up on the WWF and know him as nails, they probably wouldn't even recognize the the jacked up Kevin Kelly from the AWA, would they? Yeah, probably not. Just, I mean, if nothing else, just the appearance alone, because he wore trunks and boots and, uh, normal wrestling gear and didn't have his body covered. So it was a, it was a completely different look, long hair. And yeah, the Thor was perfect for him because right. he, he looked like Thor. No, it's funny because when you, when you tell someone who only knows him as nails, that he was Thor. You're like, I don't see it. Then you go Google image and you're like, oh, okay. Well I could come around to that. Uh, he winds up leaving the AWA shortly before it folds in 1991. He's bouncing around with some different independents, but along the way, he does get a tryout with the WWF and my research. I found he has a tryout on June 6, 1989 at a superstars taping in Madison, Wisconsin, defeating Tim Horner. The next night he defeats Jim powers at a wrestling challenge taping, but he's not signed to a contract. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, why you think maybe he wasn't the right fit in that era of the WWF. Because when you look at old pictures of Kevin from that era, it feels like somebody Vince might've been into was, was his work not good or did Vince just not think he had enough charisma or was it just not the right time? I just think it wasn't the right time. And, and there wasn't a whole lot of charisma there. So, and you know, anybody that knows Kevin uh, and I don't know him that well. I, I didn't get to spend a lot of time with him. Um, he's not a real open and friendly guy. 
uh, he may be to his friends. I just never, no, I never be, experienced that. So. To be clear, you're not saying he's rude. You're just saying he's more of an no. introvert. He's, he's yeah. just sort of plays it close to the vest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he and he and uh, Mike Hextrand were good friends. Road Warrior Hawk, um, the Minnesota guys that he hung out with, Kurt Hennig. Right. Um, they were friendly, but I think that there was a wall there that was tough to break down. So I just never, uh, I was never around him enough to, to know one way or the other. He would wind up getting, you know, another tryout. Uh, and that would happen. I don't know, probably well after the AWA folds, uh, May 6th, 1991. And then the following night does a wrestling challenge, uh, getting a win over Gary Jackson in a dark match. So he has a couple of opportunities once in 89, another in 91, uh, but it's not until much later that we actually see him show up uh, as the nails character. I feel like we should mention he did briefly work for FMW over in Japan. And you and I have not spent a lot of time talking about that. Uh, but in 1990, sort of in between tryouts, uh, and once the AWA is on the way down, he, uh, he gets a run in FMW and he's got a feud over there with Dick Murdoch. I don't think some of our hardcore WWF fans who listen to the show may even be familiar with frontier martial arts wrestling, chat everybody up about this renegade outfit. That was uh, a tape trading icon. Uh, that's what Onita was in charge of, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. And here's the extent of. And I later on worked with Onita and, and went over there and we did some talent exchanges with him, not exchanges, but we sent talent over there, Ken Shamrock and Vader and uh, a few others. But for the longest time, the extent of what I knew about Onita and FMW was from Bobby Heenan that every time that he saw Onita, Bobby would go, yeah, that's a motherfucker that broke my neck. Oh, Apparently Onita and Bobby were working in Japan and Onita was very young, young boy at the time, breaking into the business, working with Bobby and broke Bobby's neck and apparently never apologized. And, you know, I don't know if he didn't know or anything. I don't, you know, Onita's Onita. Um, but it was kind of the EC. It was a, a low end version, low end Japanese version of ECW. Best way to describe what FMW was. Yeah, it's uh, it's been called garbage wrestling once upon a time, but it's definitely hardcore wrestling. And you know, he's the first guy to to do stuff like barbed wire that's got explosions in it and silly stuff like that. Yeah, as a, I don't know, a couple weeks ago, we were talking about the explosion match and yeah. the bomb match, and I saw that, and everybody's telling me how great it was, and it was a bunch of fucking loud ass pyro. And smoke bombs that go off where the entire place is smoky as shit for a long time. And then the smoke clears and everybody's laid out in the ring like they're dead. And then Onita starts to stir, pins the guy, and that's the end of the match. Just, yeah, it was, it was kind of a shit show. I love you, Bruce. I'm going to take it easy on you today because it would be real easy to crack a joke or two. Uh, let's keep going though. Let's talk about our man nails. He debuts in 1992. <laughs> Gimmick is he's a former inmate, but even though he's out of prison, 
He's still going to wear a prison jumpsuit, the orange jumpsuit that has DOC for Department of Corrections on the back. And listen, I understand that you've got a big boss man character. So if you've got a, you know, corrections officer character, what if, which is a famous saying that you've told us that you guys would use sometimes, what if we had a prisoner gimmick to go with the corrections officer gimmick? Is that pretty much the long and the short of it? And then it became, who can we put in this fucking jumpsuit? Well, I wasn't there, but makes sense to me. <laughs> Why the fuck not? It's a natural story. Look, if you're going to have a pallbearer and a mortician in a fucking cemetery, diddling an undertaker's mama, yep. then you sure as fuck can have a prisoner, a former prisoner that was abused by the big boss man. In his eyes, come back and want some vengeance. Maybe, you know, maybe boss man, um, he misbehaved and boss man took his bread at chow time. I don't know. Fuck. Makes sense. I can relate to that. My goodness. You can't relate to that. Who do you think, uh, is behind this character? Is this a Vince McMahon idea or, or do you know who we can hang this one on? Yeah, I really don't know. It was either Vince or Pat or JJ at the time. One of those three. Okay, Bruce, we got to run a timeout right now to talk about our friends. Of course, we're talking about cupofjoes.com. Go to cupofjoes.com forward slash podcast. I'm such a big fan of these guys because they're a fan of ours. They listen to all of my podcasts here on Westwood One. And cupofjoes.com is home to more than 50 brands of cigars, including all your favorites. And Bruce, you're more of a cigar connoisseur than me. You're telling me that Monte Cristo is the jam, huh? Absolutely. The beautiful thing about it is, you know, like a lot of these other cigar places, they will put out some fancy looking cigars, Cup of Joe. They've got the real deal. They've got the primo cigars. Whatever your taste is, we like a smooth, easy, light smoker. You want that bold Maduro and you want something that you're going to taste and linger for a while. They've got it all, and they have the best of the best at the most competitive prices out there. Check it out right now. Whether you're into Monte Cristo, Acid, Java, David Off, Rocky Patel, Kristoff, and more, whether you're looking to try a new cigar in singles, or man, get a whole box of them. They got you covered with great prices and most importantly, excellent customer service. Check their page out right now. It's cupojoes.com forward slash podcast. You'll get exclusive deals for listening to something to wrestle, or you can call 1-888-689-6876 to reach one of their cigar specialists. All their cigars are carefully stored in a beautiful walk-in humidor to ensure that your cigars come fresh and humidified. They've also got lighters, cutters, all the other cigar accessories you might need available. Go to cupofjoes.com forward slash podcast. That's C-U-P-O-J-O-E-S.com, cupofjoes.com forward slash podcast. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. And thanks for listening, guys. Go check our friends out, cupojoes.com forward slash podcast. Well, here's what's most interesting. And this was discussed a lot. And I'll be honest, I kind of forgot about this. But when we posted that we were going to be doing this topic, lots of folks uh, had something to say about the way his voice was altered and doesn't sound anything like he would on TV, especially in like the teaser promo where it's sort of a black and white shot of, uh, of the prison and the cell and all that. And then you hear this booming 
not real voice talking about, I'm coming to get you boss, man. When you saw this stuff, what do you, what do you, what do you make of this? Well, I understood why they did it. Uh, first of all, because if you've ever heard, you know, Kevin Kelly or Kevin Walkholtz, he, he cut his promos. He had a very high pitched voice and it was akin to Mike Tyson. If you were only to hear Mike Tyson speak and you didn't see Mike, you would think, oh my God, you know, this meek little man that, you know, must be a nerd at his computer or something. And then you see Mike Tyson and the voice and the, the real human being, they don't go together. (laughs) I'd say the same thing with, with nails. It's so the idea behind it was alter the voice. And it also gave it a cloud of mystery. And just to me is more intriguing. And that was from an outsider looking in because at first I'm thinking, well, shit, I was in the company and all I had was, People tell me, and they're telling me Kevin Kelly's coming in to do this thing, and you see it. It's like, that's not Kevin Kelly. And he looked different, and he sounded completely different. So it was just a, another effect to make him larger than life. You remember Boss Man, the unwritten rule here in the joint? An eye for an eye and a life for a life. But when I get out of here, that rule will still apply to you. Well, there's no doubt someone is looking for the big boss man, and he is soon to be out, so we are told. I don't think that thrills the big boss man at all. Well, it clearly works. Uh, The storyline here is um, that he's been abused by the big boss man, when the big boss man was a guard at the corrections facility. And the story is, I'm not going to forget these beatings you passed down. And when I get out, I'm coming to get you. And he also says over and over in all of his promos that he was innocent and he, uh, these were crimes he did not do. Which I always thought was weird. Cause he never said the word commit, which may have been eventism, but he never says what the crimes are, but he wasn't guilty of them. And Bobby Heenan, when he's trying to, you know, sort of talk up the bad guys would randomly make up silly stuff like, oh, he, he must've accidentally double parked when he was getting his mom's prescriptions from the drugstore or something like that. Um, that's what I heard. (laughs) Don't you think if you're going to go this deep into saying now he's a prisoner, but he's here to look for revenge because the boss man beat him up. But he's not going to admit to the crimes and we're never going to say what the crimes were. I mean, if you're, if you're trying to get heat on the guy, quote unquote, shouldn't you say, oh man, this guy was walking around like punching babies and, and punting dogs. I mean, he was doing all kinds of bad stuff, but instead we don't, we don't give him any crimes. It's a mystery. (laughs) These crimes were so heinous. They can never be spoken of again, but he won't even own up to it. Like to me, if you're a huge, yeah, I did it. You didn't do it. He's a baby face then. Ah. Shades of gray. Shades of gray. After the big boss man's victory on Dave uh, Roulette, that's the real name, on May 30th on an episode of Superstars of Wrestling, Nails would come through the crowd and attack boss man, handcuff him to the top rope, 
and just over and over hit him and choke him with his own nightstick. I got to ask though, when you see this, you're like, okay, these two go together. This is peanut butter and jelly. When you first come into the company or even when you're farting into your couch at home, waiting on the next global taping, do you think, where do we go after the boss man feud with this character? No, because the initial introduction is, is a beautiful way to bring him in. And you can always segue off into somebody else. Sure. Always. That's easy to do. Uh, you know, you, you talked about how maybe he wasn't sort of, uh, he was more of an introvert. I wasn't exactly uh, outgoing. Did he get along with everybody? I mean, you, you mentioned all the Minnesota guys that he, I mean, sometimes we hear, man, this guy and that guy do not like each other. Like we talked about last week with Paul Bear. For whatever reason, Paul Bear and Sonny just did not get along. Do you know if, if, if Kevin had an issue with anybody else or was he pretty much keeping to himself and hanging with the Minnesota crew? Yeah, I don't really, I don't know. I never heard that he had any issue with anybody else. And it just, uh, Pretty much in, from what I saw in the very little time I was around, it was he, he did. He just kind of kept to himself and did his job, and that was it. He comes Wasn't in. Much, much else to it. We're giving him some, some quick and easy wins, letting him pick up uh, wins over uh, enhancement talent on some TV tapings and even some house shows. He would occasionally work with Virgil on some house shows. He winds up losing his first match. Uh, or his first loss rather is, uh, with Kerry Von Erich by DQ on June 22nd. And after that, on somehow shows, he's working with Jim Duggan through July and August, and eventually starts to work with boss man in August, but on TV, we're, we're still talking about boss man, but we're setting up a match with Virgil and that'll be his first pay-per-view match. SummerSlam 1992. He defeats Virgil by TKO. Uh, he's still back working with boss man on the house show loop. And he's pretty much, um, losing all of those, uh, to boss man always by DQ. And they even continue that feud through the month of September, where now we're really picking it up on TV. So on house shows, we're not just having regular matches with boss man. Now we're doing cage matches and he finds himself in a series of sort of interesting six man tags in October, or at least I thought they were interesting. He's going to team with Kamala and razor Ramon. What a fucking group that is. And they're going to take on in a losing effort, the ultimate warrior, the big boss man and the undertaker. How crazy is that? Boss man. I'm glad you're coming back. I'm glad you're coming back for another beating. This time I'm going to finish you off boss man. And nobody's going to help you. Undertaker. You better get ready, because I've instructed Kim Chi to make sure that Kamala singles you out in this match, and you're in real trouble. Hey, Ultimate Warrior, I guess that leaves you and me, man. So paint it up real pretty, because when you meet Ezra Ramon, Yeah, but it's, it's interesting. It just like you said, you you were intrigued by that combination. Sure, I think that the ticket buying audience would be intrigued by that. And go, what the fuck is going to happen here? 
Yeah. And clearly the, the way these guys sort of fit together is undertaker has an issue with Kamala. Bossman has an issue with nails. Razor Ramon has an issue with ultimate warrior. I get what we're on our way to. Of course, we know the ultimate warrior thing. That's going to look a little different very soon. Uh, when, when the whole thing happens for SummerSlam 92, we should also mention, uh, nails, believe it or not, actually gets enough character play on TV where they slide him in against Bret Hart for world title shots on house shows. Of course, I'm sad to report that nails was never world champion. Unfortunately, he did not beat Bret Hart. Uh, here's an interesting match for you. Bob Backlund even picked up a win over nails in Pittsburgh in October of 92. That had to be a barn burner. It just feels like you guys were intentionally punishing the audience with that one. Uh, from there, nails works some matches against the ultimate warrior on house shows. Warrior wins all those. If nails were here now, how do you think he would have described working with the ultimate warrior? Painful <laughs> for, for everyone involved. He, he would have like a, a week straight on house shows against the undertaker. Of course he loses all of those and we see a few confrontations here, there with nails and undertaker. And we're teasing a few that ultimately doesn't wind up happening, but there's even some, some fun promos that you can go back and watch on the network where mean gene is sort of teeing it up that, Hey, maybe undertaker is next because you're going to be meeting the undertaker. Undertaker, let me get one thing perfectly clear. I'm an innocent man. I was put in prison for crimes I did not do. Survivor Series 92 is the Yeah, but you know, the, 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 crazy thing about that was, is we did, we did an angle at, um, at TV where I don't know if it was undertaker that had had the match or if nails had had the match, but one of them stayed in the ring and the other came out and I, I don't even know if we aired it. Uh, but undertaker and nails were in opposite corners in the rumbling in the building was, incredible because undertaker was red hot at the time and every time that undertaker or that uh they would just take one step and then the other one would take a step and every step the the rumbling would get hotter and hotter and hotter um really just fever pitch until finally they came together and they're just about nose to nose when here come the referees, agents, and everybody, and they kind of get in between them. And it wasn't a real, like, violent pull apart, but it was a separation. And then, uh, you know, once they're separated, it's like the guy that is, you know, picking the fight, the little weasel that's that's picking a fight. And as soon as people get in between to, to pull them apart, it's like, let me go. I'll kill you. Come on. You know, that kind of shit. So the, the audience started chanting, let them fight, let them fight. And it was, I mean, they were ready for it. The audience was ready for it without having to do anything other than put them in the ring at the same time. It's funny because what could have been, because you definitely see the interviews and again, you know, we know it doesn't wind up happening, but 
since we know we've got SummerSlam out of the way in the books now with a win over Virgil, and we know we've got the big payoff for the big boss man deal, uh, coming at survivor series in theory, do you think that Royal rumble might've been these two guys? You know, there, there was a part, um, and this was early on, so it might've actually been Royal rumble or it might've actually been, you think we can get to mania with this, right? Because it was, again, we were just testing. You're just saying, okay, what's, what's the appetite for this? And the appetite was definitely there. It's just interesting to me because, you know, the undertaker is, uh, is not on a traditional match at the Royal rumble. He's in the Royal rumble, but he's not, he didn't have a singles match. So that could have been maybe something that was considered. I do. I am sort of curious though, like with what we know that you've told us about, you know, hypothetical tag teams in the past that the undertaker could have been considered for. It feels like you guys could have paired him with nails and in the promos said, if you're not careful, you're going to wind up dead or in jail. Connie, you fucking did death or taxes. God damn it. You give me dead or in jail. Yeah. I, I, no, <laughs> uh, let's talk about the match. We know what's coming. Survivor series. 92 Vince Russo was not here. It's a nightstick on a pole match. Uh, of course the nightstick is a, is a critical part of this feud. So while on some level, I want to make fun of this being on a pole, realistically, supposedly that's what boss man beat him with in prison. That is what is most identifiable with boss man. When, when nails debuts, he beats the shit out of boss man. We even have some, some, some fun interview clips of Mr. Perfect as a quote unquote journalist calling to talk to boss man about the beating that aired. Is this the big boss man? Yes. Big boss man, this is Mr. Perfect. Don't hang up right now. I'm a broadcast journalist. We are on the air. I have a question for you. What is it? I would like to know, how did it feel when Nails gave you the worst beating in the history of the WWF? It was rough. It was rough. Well, I, for one, boss man, am happy that your career is finally over. I'm going to be back. You're going to be back? You're coming back to take more of a beating from Nails? You're even stupider than I thought. Goodbye. I can't believe that you would hang up on the big boss man, someone who's giving up his time while he's convalescing, and those photographs. My goodness, the boss. So I understand it, but not the best match. Five minutes, 43 seconds. As you might imagine, um, boss man hits the big Bubba slam. He comes down with the stick, hits nails a few times. Nails gets away. Bossman makes a comeback, scores a clean pin. Uh, Mouse would say, considering the respective positions of each on upcoming shows, the result was something of a surprise. Because even here, I think Meltzer thought, well, he's going to be working with the Undertaker. Maybe that makes sense. But Bossman gets the win. Did you not think you had more meat on that one? Or at that point, were you convinced? Maybe we're going to try the Undertaker thing. I think it had probably just run its course at that point and then time to wrap it up and move on. Now, keep in yeah. mind that's survivor series 92. I didn't mean to cut you off. Were you going to say something there? No, I, I again, I, I, 
especially me, I've never gotten hung up on wins and losses. It's all about story and and character and meaning something. If you care, you know, same thing with championships. It's it's the, the championship can make the man or the man can make the championship. And a lot of people don't need it. Well, he, he doesn't need it much longer because, uh, he wrestles his last match with the company on December 13th, 1992. Uh, he loses to, uh, boss man in a lumberjack match. And the next day is probably why you wanted to listen to this episode. December 14th, 1992 is when the incident happens. Meltzer would write of it. Probably the most talked about item of the past week revolves around the firing of nails from the WWF on December 14th. It's been confirmed by many that there was a physical altercation between Wachholz 34 and McMahon 47. Wachholz had not talked about the incident publicly as of press time, apparently on advice from his lawyer. Although he did file a police report immediately after the incident. The only official Titan word that I know of from last week was that a memo was released on December 14th that Wachholz was terminated immediately for unprofessional conduct. Apparently Wachholz, who lives in Minneapolis and had a reputation as a street fighter and won a tough man contest in the Twin Cities before becoming a pro wrestler in 84, was meeting with McMahon in a locker room around 4.30 in the afternoon before the television tapings that evening in Green Bay. A few Titan officials who were near the room started to hear loud shouts coming from the room And according to one source, some thought it was just another wrestler shouting really loudly, doing a promo, but then there was a very audible, I want my fucking money. Apparently the argument was involving Wachholz payoff from the SummerSlam pay-per-view show, which he had apparently just received and thought was too low. After the argument grew more heated, those listening heard what sounded like a punch or a thud and some WWF officials opened the door to find Wachholz on top of McMahon. And he had his hands around McMahon's throat with the latter helpless. The two were then pulled apart by four agents. So before we go on any further, fucking a, let's just start at the beginning. Were you in green Bay at this TV taping? I was. And did you hear the commotion? Do you hear other people or other people telling you, Hey, did you hear what happened or take me through the day? No, 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 no. Um, there's a backstory to it too. And um, I actually have a very small part in the, in the backstory of it, but we always worked at Vince's house and I, either the, the day before, a couple days before Kevin had called Vince's house. I answered the phone as Vince was busy on another phone call. And so we would always answer the phone and, uh, I told him that Vince was busy and I asked who it was and said it was Kevin. He said, who's this? It's Bruce. He says, all right. He goes, well, you know, tell him I called and ask him to call me back. I said, okay. And uh, Vince got a phone, told him that, that Kevin had called. And um, sorry, hold on. And, we, you know, we were so close to TV. Vince said, okay, I'll talk to him at TV, whatever he's got on his mind. So we got to TV, and I – Remember it again, it was nothing, but then in the hindsight, God damn it. Uh, uh, and you know, you just think back and then things. And I remember walking in, and Kevin had asked me, he says, Hey, Pritchard, did you tell Vince that I called the other day? I said, Yeah, he said he would talk to you uh, today. That was the last that I saw. 
<laughs> spoke to and or saw uh, Kevin Wachholz. Um, so Pat and I were at the ring doing something, and we just started walking to the back and ran into Paul Bearer, who was coming from like the back. Um, there was like a, an arena in, in an ag hall connected to the arena. So it was kind of like two buildings and, and we had interviews and shit going on in the ag hall. It was just a weird setup, but Paul came and, uh, he says, well, that was fast or that was over. That's over or something like that. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he said, uh, Oh, the fight, what fight? And he says, Oh, nails and vents. And we look at each other. So we run back to the, to Vince's office and Vince was in his office, I think, with Sarge and Arnold Skolan and, and somebody else. And so, I, you know, what the fuck happened? And he just basically uh, said they, they, were, they were talking and he just lunged. <laughs> Vince went ass over tea kettle. And when he, he lunged, I guess uh, Kevin was trying to choke him. And then everybody was in there and got him off of him right away. It wasn't. Wasn't a fight, um, at least from all the witnesses that were there. And it was it was pretty much you heard the voices raised, you heard the crash, and then everybody was in there. So I don't think I don't even think a punch was thrown. And you know Vince was other than his tie was crooked, um, no harm, no foul, and just you know more pissed off than anything. From your recollection, did. Vince or anyone at the company called the police right then, or did you guys just say you're fired, get the fuck out. And he left. I, re- I, I remember, no, at that point, I don't think we did. I don't think we called the police. Uh, Kevin did. Yeah. We're going to get to that. He called him yeah. two days later, but I'm saying right then in that moment, no, he got- called him right then. Okay. He called him right then because they came and, you know, took a statement and stuff. Um, but it was, yeah, it was fast. It was, you know, not much other than, you know, Hey, somebody go and tell Kevin, he needs to get his bag and go. And I believe that was Jack Lanza who did that, but either that Jack Lanza or Sarge, but they went and, and Kevin left, but he had called the police first and he waited outside for the police to get there and talked to them. And then the police came in and talked to Vince. Do you want to tell everybody what he told the police? I don't know what he told the police. Allegedly. Who? Kevin. Vince. Kevin. Why did the police come there? He said he was assaulted or something. He said that Vince jumped. I, I, This feels like about as good a place of any to talk about getting your dick real, real hard. Remember the days when you were always ready to go, but now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up bluechew.com. That's blue. Like the color blue blue chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA approved active ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis. You can take them anytime day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill. So you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. If you could benefit from more confidence where it counts, Blue Chew is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. 
Blue Chew is prescribed online by licensed physicians, so you don't have to go to the doctor's office or wait in line at the pharmacy, and it ships right to your door in a discreet package. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. And best of all, no more awkwardness. And right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment for free when you use our special promo code WRESTLE. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com. The promo code is WRESTLE, and you can try it for free. BlueChew is the cheaper, better, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Bruce, uh, on your time off, your, your 12 minutes a day, if you wanted to rub one out, what should you do before you do it? Well, it doesn't even matter if I've eaten or not. You just uh, have some blue chew, and by God, you are ready to rock and roll. Chew it and do it. Get your ding-dong hard, son. So here's the silliness that was reported. The discussion was about money. This is all from The Observer. Um, said WWF spokesperson Steve Palamenta. I said that right? Planamenta? Planamenta, yeah. Yeah, Planamenta. I guess he wasn't happy with his pay quote. Uh, what happened after that is he jumped on Vince police came. Uh, and then we have a police report that alleges Vince did things that were a total fabrication. Uh, Meltzer would say a police report was filed two days later by an officer named Scott seam in the Brown County Sheriff's department, listing Wachholz as the victim and McMahon as the suspect in an alleged sexual assault in the report. Wachholz claimed he pushed McMahon away, knocking him to the floor. And at that time, agents and wrestlers came in and separated the two. The police report says that at the time, the locker room door was partially open and the victim believes the witnesses may have seen or heard something. Wackles claimed it was the second time McMahon had assaulted him. The first time being the prior month at Madison square garden, WWF (laughs) official Earl Hebner said he was five or six feet away looking through the door, which was open when the incident took place. And Hebner said that McMahon and Wackles had been arguing for 45 minutes to an hour about his SummerSlam payoff. Wachholz apparently had just received the payoff and was complaining it was too small and demanding more money. Quote, he launched across the room, grabbed him by the throat and threw him down, said Earl Hebner. At that point, Sergeant Slaughter, Gorilla Monsoon, Dave Hebner and Arnold Scullin came in and pulled Wachholz off McMahon. Quote, Kevin ran to the phone and called 911 and told the police to come down because he'd been sexually assaulted. Earl Hebner recalled, not a chance. There's no way he couldn't have pulled out a gun as fast as nails was on him. The police arrived 15 to 20 minutes later and listed in the report were three witnesses, Sergeant Slaughter, Arnold Scotland, Owen Hart, and the case was turned over on the 15th to the district attorney's office. McMahon, who's listed as the suspect in the cage in the case had not been charged as of Monday. And there's a PR firm that handles the stuff for Titan sports. And they make a statement a week later saying that Wackles was trying to extort 150 grand from McMahon and the report would say for whatever this is worth the general consensus. Hold on. Sorry. I mean, this look not as certainly producing TV in a pandemic. Here we go, baby. Let's get back at it. Maybe we finish it out here. Uh, this is the last of the report from Meltzer for whatever this is worth. The general consensus within the wrestling business is that Wackel's story isn't believed. However, in many quarters and among wrestlers, both in the WWF and out, Wackel's has turned into something of a hero in bar talk for quote, having the guts to pop McMahon end quote, while the bitterness among so many towards McMahon in this business is not a surprise. I was surprised at the reaction of so many toward the incident. 
If what Wachholz claimed in the police report is true, so be it. If it isn't, I'm sorry, but McMahon doesn't deserve to be put in this position, no matter what he may have said or who he may have upset in the past for something he didn't do. Titan sports is turning into a jungle of litigation more than it is a wrestling company. And by the way, Bret Hart was there that night and he wrote about this in his book. He says, Vince had problems to deal with in green Bay for the past six months. He had been building Kevin Wackles as a psycho killer ex con named nails. Kevin cornered Vince in his office and screamed at him for 15 minutes about all the lies he'd been told. His yelling got so loud. I had goosebumps up my back as I listened from down the hall. Suddenly there was a loud crash. Nails had knocked Vince over his chair, choking him violently until Lanza slaughter and a swarm of agents teamed up to pull him off. Nails walked out and immediately called the police and accused Vince of making a sexual advance to him. Vince was charged with sexual assault. Of course, the charges were dropped shortly thereafter. And some of the boys actually admired nails for snatching Vince and then covering his tracks well enough to not get charged himself. The last thing Vince wanted was yet another scandal. We should, you know, mention that there's a couple of different things going on accusations against members of the staff and also, um, the steroids scandal. So we're knee deep in the middle of other stuff. So it doesn't, so I guess surprise me that necessarily Vince doesn't try to pursue this, but the idea that he's quote unquote covered his tracks. And now I guess is uh, trying to extort 150 grand. When did you hear about, Hey, pay me 150 grand and I'll make this go away. Um, I, I just think that that, uh, I don't really remember. And again, it all that night, that day, everything happened so fast and was just kind of a blur. Plus you got to, you know, produce three television shows that night. So that makes it crazy. But after the fact it's, I know it sounds weird, but you, you're involved in so much craziness all around you that, um, you move on. You just put your head down and, and, and you move on. It's difficult to defend against make believe or, or shit. And you, you have to defend yourself at some point. And that, you know, it, it takes me back to just even like the dirt sheet stuff as I, vent to you so often um yeah when i read things that are just complete fabrications that are printed as fact and printed as this is this happened or this is how it happened when it's nowhere near how and or what happened um it, it just you you get overloaded and and it's just um it's frustrating, just really, really frustrating. And I think that was what everybody was feeling. And, and especially Vince, who was put in a really, really shitty position. We should mention that, um, the green Bay district attorney's office refuses to prosecute the claim due to lack of evidence. A few weeks later though, uh, it's reported that McMahon is now suing nails and it's filed in, in the same Wisconsin courthouse and McMahon is claiming that. Wachholz has perpetrated a violent attack and assault upon him with great force and violence. And as a consequence of the attack, the suit claims McMahon suffered pain and bodily injury, as well as embarrassment and humiliation. He also claims that the defendant filed a police, a false police report claiming he had been sexually assaulted. 
and the police report compounded the anguish and humiliation because the police report was published in various media outlets, which is pretty remarkable. Uh, and, and by the way, he then starts taking indie dates, trying to work his nails. And of course, WWE is going to have someone from legal contact him and indie promoters saying you better not use the name nails. And shortly after that, he starts working as the convict and unbelievably WCW hires him and he pops up at the slamboree pay-per-view as a surprise appearance. He's calling himself the prisoner. He wrestles sting and sting pins the prisoner after five minutes and 16 seconds. Fans are chanting bullshit and, uh, Meltzer would say it was a waste of sting and uh, it's negative one star. It's worth mentioning. He is a last minute replacement here for Scott Norton, who had apparently walked out over a money dispute, something about that going around in the, uh, in this era in May of 93 Meltzer would report Titan attempted to get default judgments in both its case against Mushnick and its case against Wachholz in both cases, claiming the defendants failed to respond to the suit within the prescribed period of time. In both cases, Titan's request was turned down. In the case of Wachholz, the judge ruled that the process server didn't take adequate measures to reach him. The summons for the lawsuit was served to his sister rather than Kevin himself. And according to the newspaper article that ran about the court hearing, Wackles has now filed a countersuit against McMahon and Titan sports based on its claims made, uh, during the incident in green Bay last December. So tons of silliness here back and forth. He said, she said, were you shocked when not too terribly long after this shit show, he pops up in WCW. That just seems like that's right out of the book of bad ideas. I would think so. And I, I didn't even remember that. Uh, that, I do now you bring it up, but I didn't even remember that then. And it's just kind of like, what the hell? But, and obviously that didn't last long either. No, it did not. Uh, in August of 93 inside the, your own magazine, the WWF magazine, there is a very surprising piece done and a statement read the world wrestling federation magazine has always been published with entertaining and informative articles for you, our fans. However, in upcoming issues, Titan sports incorporated and the world wrestling federation will address some malicious issues that have confronted and unjustly challenged our company over the past two years. There have been libelous remarks and vicious newspaper and articles written. The tabloid media has had a field day with us and we have been subjected to tactics bordering on McCarthyism. We've spent a great deal of time, effort, energy, and money combating the lies and innuendo countering with our own lawsuits. And we are continuing to investigate the reasons for this witch hunt. Now it's time for us to tell our story about Tom Cole, Rita Chatterton, Murray Hodgson, superstar, Billy Graham, Dave Schultz, and others who have aided and abetted spreading gossip and lies starting next month. We will do just that. This feels like nothing you guys have ever done. You know, every legal issue you've had, you're like, fuck that. We're just gonna, was Vince just fed up and wanted to just get it off his chest here. At some point you, you, you've got to strike back, right? At some point, you know, you, you have to you have to say something and, and we had always subscribed to the theory of, you know, we, you keep everything inside and you take care of your business and, and you keep your business private and, um, you don't go public. You, you take care of things and, and it's just, you know, it, it, it gets to be too much when people just can, People can go out and make any kind of accusation and claim that they want to. 
And before due justice is is served and before um, it, it can even ever reach any anything else, those comments are out there and they and they hurt and they can be complete lies and have zero truth to them. But someone can say, a source told me this, or I claim this, or, or whatever. I heard this, and it's okay. Because very seldom do you hear the retractions. The retractions don't get headlines. Right. The accusations do. So it just, it just reach, you just reach a point where you, you've, you've got to fight back. Um, it's written here, quote, we sued him and depositions will be going forward during the month of July. I have no idea why he acted that way. He acted like someone who had just gone off the deep end. I'm not quite sure what his motivation was or what happened, but I can tell you there were several witnesses who saw and, um, know the attack and then the lack of truthfulness that Kevin reported. And that testimony will be made very clear. We'll get back to that later. Um, I can't believe this is real. And we, I don't know that we even touched on this before, but when we talked about the steroid trial, we may have mentioned in passing nails is called in to testify, which it feels like it's just like, well, Hey, who else do we not? Who else do we know that doesn't like Vince? Let's get those motherfuckers on the stand. And, um, it's written here. Wackel said that he was with Rick rude on June 6, 1989 in Madison, Wisconsin at a WWF television taping when rude's conversation with McMahon took place. He said that rude and he were together. His version of the conversation was that McMahon introduced himself and asked rude if he was working out regularly. And if his workouts were going good, he asked rude if he was going to put on some size and rude said he was working out as hard as he could. And he told rude that in the position he was in, he needed to be bigger. And rude said he was working out as hard as he could, but with the travel and, uh, and work, it was hard. And according to Wackholz, McMahon said, quote, I suggest you go on the gas. And Root said he wasn't interested in going on steroids at that point. And when asked why, Wachholz said he couldn't recall. When O'Shea brought up wanting to have kids, he said, quote, oh, Root said he was trying to have a child and he didn't want to take steroids. And then he says in January of 92 in Florida, he went to a TV taping to meet with McMahon and discuss the nails gimmick. This would have been when you're not there, of course. And he says he and McMahon were the only ones in the conversation and that Patterson and JJ Dillon were outside. And he said, McMahon told him he was going to promote him as a convict and that no one could promote a convict like the world wrestling federation. And then Wackholz said, McMahon asked him if he worked out and if he was on the gas, when Wackholz said he wasn't McMahon chuckled and allegedly said, you should be, you need to be as big as you can be. And Wackholz said he was 300 pounds and wouldn't go on steroids to get the job. He allegedly responded by saying sometime life isn't fair. The ball's in your court. Do what you have to do. And remember, this is supposedly in January of 92 when all the steroid heat is at its peak and testing had just begun. So I'm not trying to say this didn't happen, but I am saying, Jesus Christ, this didn't happen. Um, and <laughs> McDevitt brings up that Wachholz was suing McMahon. And uh, then he said that he wasn't even in the WWF in 89 because he had no contract until March of 92. But Wachholz would counter, no, I was there on a verbal agreement. And McDevitt brought up that Wachholz did a deposition as part of a back and forth involving McMahon and himself when he talked about the conversation and promoting the convict character and never once did he bring up steroids and the deposition said that conversation was about the character's outfit and what it would look like. And McMahon told him he could be a main event character. If he did a good job and talked about how his wrestlers are portrayed as showmen, not wrestlers. 
And, uh, McDevitt brought up not once in his grand jury testimony. Did he bring this story up? And he said, by the way, the nails outfit doesn't even show his musculature. Although Wachholz said it did. And Wachholz admitted he never used steroids in the WWF. Gravetti then asked if he had any, any animosity towards McMahon. And he said, no. And when asked if he hated Vince McMahon, he said, yes. So I don't have any animosity towards you, but I do hate you. And you told me to get on the gas when you were telling me about my outfit that covered my whole body. What the fuck is this? I mean, clearly you know, that we know that Vince is cleared on all these charges and, and it's all just shenanigans, but this guy had a fucking hard on for Vince. Is it, it's an understatement. Is it not? Yeah, it kind of seems that way. And, and, you know, going back to, I've known Vince for over 33 years and been in lots of conversations and in all those 33 years, never one time have I ever heard him tell anyone to get on the gas, to take steroids. I have heard the opposite. And I heard the opposite when allegedly, and this was in 1988 or 89. And to Brian Adams, who was, you know, came in and he was huge. And, and Vince said, he goes, look, he goes, I don't know. I don't want to know, but i tell you this. If you're on anything, you need to get off of it. And that was before any steroid trial or anything else where I've heard Vince discourage that, but I have never, ever one time, not one time, I ever heard him say that. And, and it's just, it astonishes me. And, and look, I wasn't in one-on-one -on -one conversations with guys and said that before too. So, um, it just astounds me. And when you, you go back and you look at that grand jury or testimony and the testimony in the steroid trial, you know, yeah, he hated Vince McMahon. Uh, no, you didn't even show your body in the nails outfit. Um, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's, it's remarkable to me that supposedly this conversation happens when we're knee deep in the steroid investigation. Like, of course it didn't happen. And you know, maybe if, if you're the warlord, okay. I mean, you're wearing little tiny trunks. You have on a fucking jumper, like a whole bodysuit. It's, it's unbelievable. This is, you know, what's written here, by the way, it's worth mentioning that in 1995, Wade Keller would report that the payoff that Kevin was upset about for the SummerSlam 92 pay-per-view, his, his terrible match against Virgil, supposedly he's upset that it's eight grand, which I can tell you, I thought that's pretty fucking strong for that shit show. I would think so. Oh man. It's, uh. It's something that eventually comes to an end, uh, in the torch in 95, Wade would write the WBF and the attorney for, uh, Kevin Wackles reached an out of court settlement on the lawsuit and countersuit. So it, it finally comes to an end here in May of 95. What, what are your memories of this thing finally being put to bed? I, I just think it just went away. Uh, I don't think that, you know, either side was. Um, I just think it's best for it to go away. Just next move on, get your head down and go. He works a handful of independent shows, a couple of Japanese shots. Uh, he works a dark match on nitro in October of 97 in Minneapolis, getting a win over Yuji Nagata in April of 98. He wrestles on a WCW house show as nails and defeats Barry Darso. 
uh, the former demolition smash and repo man. Again, that's a WCW house show, of course. And that's his last match until Oh one. And most people thought, Hey, that's going to be it for him. He quote unquote officially retired, but he did work a battle Royal. I believe, uh, at some point in the last couple of years, safe to say, we'll never see nails in the WWE hall of fame. I feel like that's a pretty safe bet. I, I would say that would probably not happen. <laughs> him and brother love will probably never be there. All right. We, uh, we also let you guys ask some questions and we said, Hey, if you've got some questions for Bruce about nails, drop them here. If you'd like to ask a question for next week, I encourage you to follow us on Twitter. It's at Pritchard show. That's where you'll be able to find all the new show topics, get your feedback there. Ask your questions should be a lot of fun. Uh, but before we do, I've got two questions, uh, just from Conrad and Huntsville, Bruce, what do you think Kevin Wackel's legacy in wrestling is going to be? I mean, it's going to be choking out Vince, is it not? Uh, probably the most memorable thing he did. Yeah. I mean, it's a weird thing to sort of be notable for, but I think the internet was, was all fired up when I posted a few months back. Hey, here's what to expect here on the show coming up. And at first I didn't post it. And then I didn't tell Silva, Hey, don't post nails. Let that be a surprise. Then he posted it and the internet just blew up like, Oh my God, nails. But there's really not a lot to the story outside of. It was sort of a secondary character to the big boss man, a natural foe for him. Uh, I, I really had a hard time imagining what was next to know now that maybe the undertaker was what was next. And, uh, he fucked it up and really that was the end of his wrestling career by and large. It's, it's such an interesting story. Here's my question. I think you and I talked about this years before the podcast even existed. I have always liked, and this is a terrible movie. But there's a 1989 movie called Shocker, and I made you sit down and watch this with me because it's about uh, a guy, a prisoner who is uh, sent to the electric chair, but he doesn't die, and instead he escapes, and now uh, he is the ultimate on the loose psycho prisoner killer. And at one point towards the end, it, it sort of jumps the shark in a major way, if, if you can imagine it getting even worse than this. And the spirit goes into a little girl who then assumes the limp that the main character had. And it's fucking hysterical. And you and I laughed about it for an hour and a half. But one of the things I've always wanted to know is, is this character loosely based on the movie, the shocker, uh, you know, the escaped prisoner in the orange jumpsuit, the psycho killer, this feels like it could be loosely based on that. Knowing that, you know, he meets with him in 89 doesn't actually start TV until 92 feels like maybe this is somewhere in the back of someone's mind highly unlikely as gorilla monsoon used to say well go check it out this weekend you will see the hilarious scene hey, listen you ain't got shit else to do we're all quarantined oh but watch uh smackdown tonight uh just can't recommend that enough i see let's get to uh some questions here uh if you've got a question for next week just follow us on twitter at pritchard show bruce we're gonna hit about a dozen of these rapid fire are you ready I am ready. Lenny Bakken wants to know, was there ever an attempt in later years for either side to reach out in any other way? So was there ever a reconciliation? I know while Lenny's asking this, it does feel like if you leave the company and it's on bad terms and we're suing and we're trashing each other and we're doing shoot interviews, there's still a spot for you. Feels like he's still on the no fly list. I would think so, but stranger things have happened. Adam Leeson wants to know, does Bruce think a character like this could work in today's environment? Absolutely. I can't wait. I really hope there's an escape prisoner tonight on Smackdown. 
had nails not gotten fired, would the plan for WrestleMania nine have been nails versus undertaker? So there you go. You sort of teased that earlier. Maybe this guy's onto something. He was picking up what you were putting down. There you go. See, you wanted it, didn't you? <laughs> no. Uh, Johnny rising Did. wants to know, you know what? In fairness? Yes. That w- couldn't have been any worse than fucking Gonzalez. Right? Yeah. No shit. There you go. So what could have been way to fuck this up for us all, Kevin. Uh, Johnny rising wants to know, did nails have any nice or redeeming qualities about him at all? I'm, I'm sure he did. I, again, I didn't really know him that well. I, I never, other than a little bit of business, uh, he was introverted and yeah, I, I couldn't tell you one way or the other. Gary McLaughlin writes the TV bit where he destroyed boss man and left him black and blue had me terrified of him for ages. Any thoughts of, uh, putting nails in a faction? Maybe that could have worked the chain gang. Well, we had the ball and chain matches and shit. Sure. Why not? The Irish Mexican wants to know if nails had a manager, who would it have been? Hmm. Probably the doctor style slick would have been best or Harvey Whippleman. Uh, maybe Whippleman, but a slick would have been perfect. Craigie Boyo writes, why didn't nails get over? And what was the plan when he first came to the WWF? Do you think Vince could have ever seen him as a main eventer? I got to tell you, I really struggle with the idea that that gimmick is going to be in the main event. And I know that this isn't something you've said, but we've often heard that Vince would say, can I see them on the WrestleMania poster? There ain't no fucking way he's wrestling Hulk Hogan on a main event pay-per-views. I just don't see that. Do you? Uh, yeah, I could have seen it. Definitely. Really? And I, I do think it got over to an extent. Could have gotten over a lot more, but I, I think it did get over to an extent. Uh, Frank Vickers wants to know how significant was Nail's testimony at the 94 steroid trial in respect of undermining the prosecution's case. The prosecution undermined their own case with that silly garbage. I mean, that's really, that's pretty bad. All right, last one, Bruce, and this is a fun one. I think you'll have fun with this. Mr. Kennedy wants to know where did nails get his jumpsuits from? Convicted convicts are us jumpsuits. Well, there you go. Convicted convicts are us jumpsuits. Yeah. I don't know if that's a dot com or not, but if it exists, try the promo. It's, code. Not, it's actually dot net. Oh, well try the promo code wrestle just in case we've been having some good luck with that. Next week, we're going to go out talking about something a lot happier. Hacksaw Jim Duggan, you knew Duggan. You worked with Duggan before he was in the WWF, before he was toting the two by four and chanting USA. What can we look forward to next week on Hacksaw Jim Duggan? Well, I'm going to tell you a story about, uh, when hack did his first Japanese tour and he was leaving out of Houston. It, it was, a Obviously, Mid-South was driving territory, and, and Jim drove everywhere. So he asked me, since I lived in Houston, he said, hey, can I uh, leave my car at your place? And I lived in these townhouses in southeast Houston. So I said, of course. And he had a nice Lincoln Continental with, uh, you know, like wire rims, shit, back when those were the thing. And... Uh, Nice little story, what happened with the car and what happened with those hubcaps and my nice police encounter that evening. Um, 
fun stories about about Jim Duggan. Jim Duggan, uh, not just one of my favorite people in the wrestling business, but one of my favorite people overall. Uh, known him a long, long time before he hit big and afterwards, and he's been the same guy since day one. So this one will be a lot of fun. It will be fun. And our bonus episode at adfreeshows.com, where you could have gotten today's show early and ad free. Again, it's going to be the April 28th, 1990 Saturday night's main event. And then coming up in May, we've got a very special episode from global, uh, the July bonus though, which we've got planned is all about miss Elizabeth. August will be SummerSlam 92. September will be Carrie Von Eric. So much great stuff coming your way at adfreeshows.com. And we've just loaded it up with content including a conversation with Jim Ross this week, the former head of WWE talent relations, who unfortunately has been on both sides of the news, uh, that we got this week, where we heard that, unfortunately the WWE had to go through some cuts and he used to be the guy who made those calls and he got some of those calls. And we talk about that and all the talent that was involved at adfreeshows.com. And Bruce, I know before we started recording, you said, Hey, I want to talk about Fink up front. And then I probably need to say something at the end. Uh, the floor is yours, my friend. Well, you know, Hey, everybody, you're, you're hearing this all over the place and, and it's really tough times. And to, to say that this past week has been painful would be an understatement. Uh, it's, it's been painful. It's been challenging. I'm not going to sit here and, and talk about how much sleep I have or haven't had, but it, it hadn't been a lot in we're in uncertain times and, and we're in some tough times, but, uh, as Razor Ramon said, you know, um, he said some, whatever. some good shit. Yeah. I remember he said well, good stuff. Yeah. I mean, it, it, whatever bad guys, you know, bad times don't last, but bad guys do. Yeah. So be bad and be good and hang in there. Cause the shit's going to turn around and we're all in it together hang in there, man. And, and, and I'm glad we can <laughs> glad we can deliver this to you and, and be whatever small beacon of, uh, getting lost for a while that we can be. And I love y'all and I appreciate everything and, uh, hang in there, just hang in there and, and to, Again, to, to all the folks, and I know a lot of them were listeners, and, and there there were a lot of really good people that. Um, Let me just mention too, by the way, never say never. I know there's probably a lot of folks who are terribly disappointed, and and certainly a lot of fans are too. But man, when me and you first clicked record on a podcast, never in a fucking million years did you think you would be where you are, doing what you're doing right now, and you know we just kept doing what we were doing and having fun, and the windy road continued, and here you are. So. Never say never in wrestling business, right? You never say never in life because you never know what's around the next corner. Well, we know what's around the corner for us. It's SmackDown tonight. I hope you check it out, especially if you're listening to this show. And uh, we hope that you'll tune in next week for a little hacksaw Jim Duggan right here on something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Rock on. No Shaka Khan? No Pancho Villa? Not this week. Yeah, probably not the week for it. We'll see you next week. Hacksaw coming your way. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. 
Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.